Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's covered. <laughs> It's radio. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome in to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, how are you? Oh, just fantastic. What a great, incredible weekend of college football we just had. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's great. To complain it's, about it's, here. Uh, it's Monday, December 4th. Uh, transfer portal open today. We got some stuff to talk about there on the Oregon front in and out, or at least out for sure. And some possibility rumors on the ends. We've got, what else we got going on? We got scholarship counts. We got recruiting visits. We got Jordan Seton committing on Thursday. There's all kinds of stuff going on to talk about. Obviously there's the, the controversial, uh, playoff seedings, uh, Florida state getting left out, Alabama, Texas in, we could talk about that. There's a lot to talk about, um, but I guess we got to start with the game on Friday in Las Vegas. What game? Um, yeah, the Pac-12 championship game. The Oregon Ducks fell to Washington, thirty-four to thirty-one. I was there. Not not exactly happy about being there, <laughs> uh, but you know, here we are, and the Ducks came up short yet again against the Huskies who seem to be our nemesis at this point. Um, 0-3 in the Dan Lanning era. Uh, 0-3 against Kalen DeBoer. So that's a, that's a rough truth, but it's a truth we have to face at least for another year because the Ducks and the Huskies don't play again until November 30th of next year. So 
Well, there'll be a lot of time to dissect offseason stuff and who's adding who and who's losing who and what next year's rosters are going to look like. But for right now, I mean, Oregon really got smacked right out of the jump in this game. They fell behind 20 to three in the mid second quarter. I think at the end of the first quarter, they had run six offensive plays. Um, you know, give credit to to the Ducks. They, they got a late touchdown in the first half, followed it up with a touchdown right out of the second half to, to pull within three. And then there was kind of a bit of a back and forth there in the third quarter. And then, you know, Washington kind of put it away in the fourth with two long, long drives. And, uh, yeah, QB, where do you, you know, maybe just start with some overall thoughts on this game. Or, you know, I, I, I was able to give some of mine in our post-game show or my post-game soliloquy on Saturday, on Friday night, but I, I definitely think people want to hear your initial thoughts. Um, yeah, we, it, it's disappointing to play your worst game in such a big spot. I think that's like ultimately where this starts for me is yeah like you you really execute at such a high level for really i mean since that washington the initial washington game which oregon in my opinion like these two games are very different oregon outplayed washington and seattle um and managed to lose that game oregon in this game was thoroughly outplayed in my in my estimation um i i've seen a lot of comments about all oh, the team like it was a lack of effort. It was this or that. I I don't I do not buy into the idea that this was a lack of effort. Um, just watching, it, it was one of those things where it's like I think Oregon came into this game with everything to lose, and they knew they had everything to lose. They knew what was on the line, and watching Oregon in the first half, and just guys were moving slow. Um, and to me, like the obvious, like the easy thing to do is say, hey, that's an effort issue. Um, and for me watching that, I'm like, wow, this is a team that's playing kind of scared. They're playing tight. Like they're scared to make a mistake, which is not characteristic of what we had saw over the last six weeks. We saw a team that was focused but was playing freely. Um, and and they, they were playing like they knew they were better. And in this game, they came out tight and – it took a quarter to get out of it. I mean, defensively, we looked tight. Offensively, we looked tight. Uh, Bo looked uncomfortable to start this game. Um, his footwork, he just he looked like a guy who was too excited and like was pressing, uh, which is not what we had been accustomed to in the other big games um, over the course of the year. So that was all really disappointing. And ultimately, what happened was is Washington capitalized on that. Washington came out and played free and played focused and played like a team that had nothing to lose. Um, and they got that lead, and really that lead ended up being the margin. The, the first quarter lead ended up being the margin in the game. Uh, Oregon, I thought, I was proud of the way that the guys fought back. Ultimately, like the the score, the score at the end of the at the end of the first half, then coming back out immediately scoring on your drive there. The defense found a way to get a stop. Well, they got an interception, then both went right back to Washington, and then um, they still managed to get a stop in the red zone which gave us the ability to go down and get and take the lead. Um, but after that, like the offense just wasn't functioning at close to the level that had been functioning the season. Um, as much as it hurts to say, like, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Washington. I think that, uh, and we'll, we'll jump into it. I think X's and O's wise offensively, they had a spectacular plan um, and they, 
they used the tools they had to, to, to create leverage and opportunities for themselves offensively. Um, and we can, we can jump into that whenever you want, Doug, but like a high level thoughts on this game. Um, it was disappointing to see us come out and just not play well. And again, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that it was a lack of effort or lack of care. I, I think this game mattered. Yeah. I think this game mattered too much. It looked yeah, like a team well, that was me, burdened by, some... it looked like a team that was burdened by the moment. Yeah, let me let me get some thoughts there, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, I I agree with you. I don't think it was lack of effort. I do think the the team was outcoached. I thought Washington's coaches had a really great game plan, and I don't think Oregon's did. I, I think I think Washington's coaches just out prepared their guys, and, and I think part of that goes into again. I don't think it was lack of effort, but I think you know Washington was juiced. Like they were, they came out of this game like. They had a chip on their shoulder. They had they they were playing freely. They were playing to go out there and and win the game. And like you said, I think Oregon was playing tight and and maybe maybe Washington's in our head collectively, right? Uh, the, the program, right? Like now it's been three in a row. And maybe they were worried, you know, thinking about those last two, right? I don't know what it is, but there was a there was a noticeable difference, as you said, in the way that Oregon attacked this game from the start and the way that they had attacked the last six. And quite frankly, in the way that Washington, Washington attacked this game, like they were fired up, they were ready. Um, I think, I think Oregon was outcoached and I, and maybe the part of that is that whatever went into to preparing the guys to play. And then I think, I think also the ducks, they were smacked in the mouth on both lines of scrimmage. I mean, that was on, that was the most surprising thing out of this to me is not the end result. Not that Washington was able to throw, throw some long passes and connect on those. The surprising thing to me is Washington dominated both lines of scrimmage. And that was, well, I want to get into probably the most disappointing I, thing. I agree. And I disagree to an extent. And I think that like, unfortunately I tortured myself and I watched portions of the film on this game today. Um, so let's let's start off with the outcoaching comment. I, I agree, and I but I think that just saying hey we were outcoached is like way too broad and not specific enough to be useful. Um, and so like sure, to, let's to, get into it deeper. To me, I think, I to think me, the game like, plan. I think Washington had a better game plan. Okay, so that again, that's still too broad, not specific enough. Like let's start on defense. I don't think that Oregon's game plan defensively was bad. I, I don't. I Washington. <clears throat> Washington definitely executed at a higher level. The the bigger thing to me is Washington knew what their what their leverage was in this game. They knew what the matchups were that were friendly to them, and they attacked those matchups frequently throughout the game. And so, what I mean by that is some of the, the there's obvious there's the obvious matchup, and then there's the less obvious matchup. And so, uh, the obvious matchup is Oregon's defensive backfield, specifically down so many key guys at corner, uh, and then with a safety group that's just frankly not good enough. Uh, in coverage against Washington. And a lot of people would say, well, then just play safer, play safer, play zone. Like watch any Washington film. If you do that, Penix is still going to pick you apart. You're not going to get enough pressure. You got to change the looks. And I fundamentally agree with Dan, what Dan said at the end of the third quarter in regards to, we just got to keep pitching to him. Like he's a really good quarterback. They got a lot of really good weapons on the outside. If we let, if we sit back and let him, and let him dictate the pace of the game from the pocket, then we're just going to lose a slow death. We're going we're to die a slow death by a thousand cuts. And so they, they pitched at him. They brought lots of different pressures. They brought, played all kinds of different coverages. It was, there were six man pressures. There were five man pressures. There were Sims um, that we played a bunch of different types of zone coverage and, and, and different and different combinations of man zone stuff. So I don't think that the plan defensively was bad. I think I agree with that. I was more talking about the other side of the ball, but I know, continue. I know, but that's that's why we do the podcast, right? Is to is to dive deep into it. So, 
defensively, the, the plan wasn't bad. Now, there was some things that Washington did really well, both from a schematic standpoint and then from an execution standpoint. One of the advantages that we did not talk about going into this game, and I didn't even know was an advantage, um, was the length of the Washington guards against Oregon's interior defensive linemen. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the edges here in just a moment too, but Washington was really, really smart. They, they, neither of Kalepo or Bulow are guys that are just going to like out physical drive our guys off the ball. But what they can do is they can use their length. They have, they're both six, six plus and they have great length. And frankly, guys like Taimani, Keon Ware Hudson, um, especially once Birch went out of the game and we, we lost quite a bit of length in the interior, this became a real problem for us. Um, Taimani, Keon Ware Hudson, and those guys, they were just down blocking them. They were creating great angles for their offensive line, creating creating leverage where they could just seal off our interior guys and climb to the second level. Um, and Brailsford did a good job. He's a good athlete. He could fit well at the second level. And so they he was he was getting cut off guys and um they were able to get the edge. Uh some of that had to do with the fact that after Jordan Birch got hurt, you were now forced to play a bunch of freshmen in roles that they really hadn't had to play. Um, high quantities of snaps against the run this year. And you saw that youth. The guys were were making mistakes both technically and schematically on the edge. Um, and then you have guys like Funa who just aren't very long. And even if they even if they do stack it up, they can't get off block and redirect can't get off blocks, redirect and actually make plays. So again, it, there's a whole variety of things that took place in this game. I thought that Washington did a magnificent job of creating the matchup they wanted, whether it was Odunze or McMillan on Tyshim Johnson or Steve Stevens, they were using motion. They were bringing those guys in to, from the outside receiver to be the number two or number three receiver, um, and then creating leverage in which, like, no matter what coverage we're playing, we can't hide three safeties in coverage. So these guys are going to have to play football, and they they forced them to play football in space against superior athletes. Um, and that was brilliant in their passing game, and that's something that we knew was going to happen coming into the game, right? It was just a matter of, like, can you stem that? Can you make that not be the reason that you lose the game? The reason that it became the, the, the secondary thing that we were talking about with the, with Washington's run game, which I did not anticipate. I mean, I was very confident in our ability to stack up their run game. Uh, but especially once mm-hmm. Birch went out their, their length on the interior guard and tackle um, really beat us up. I mean, we, we had, we couldn't, we couldn't set the edge and they were washing us down inside uh, and creating great angles for themselves in the run game. And when they were able to stay ahead of the chains and run for five yards of carry, I don't, they weren't particularly explosive in the run game, but they, they were able to get those efficiency yards. And when that offense is getting efficiency yards, you're, you're on your heels. You're having to play re- completely reactive. You can't dictate at all. And then they get to pick what they want to do to beat you. Um, and ultimately that, that went through the safeties. Um, and there was tons of plays over the middle of the field on, on deep crossing routes and over routes. And there was a lot of times where they would run condensed formations or, and, and then motion either Odunze or somebody in and then run outbreaking routes where they could run away from slower, stiffer defenders in the, at, at the safety position for Oregon. So to me, like, I think that the Oregon defense was prepared schematically. It was there was issues with execution. We didn't play off blocks well. It highlighted some of the areas that uh, we 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 knew were issues. Like the, the Oregon, all of the the length is in the young guys. Uh, outside of Casey Rogers, who I, I'm not sure that he has super long arms, but Oregon doesn't have great length on the interior of the defensive line. Um, and so when Dorless is forced to play outside because of an injury to Birch, um, it it really hurts Oregon's ability to defeat blocks in the interior. We have guys that can stack, but in a game like this, our linebackers are not, they're, they're not take on shed guys. 
they're they're scrape and chase guys. Um, and so when when guards and, and centers are able to climb freely to the second level, it, it's a it's an unpalatable matchup for the Oregon personnel. Um, and so we've done a good job of not allowing that to be a case throughout the year. But this this game, it was completely it was it was well designed by by Grubb and DeBoer. I thought their run game was better designed than their pass game, and everyone wants to focus on the pass game. Um, and they did a really good job of using their length advantage. There wasn't like with the with the there's there's clips on on Twitter and stuff of Fautanu coming down and caving down guys, but for the most part, it was it was leverage, it was angles that were being used in length to pin guys inside. It wasn't like they were just driving us off the ball. Um, and we were just unable to, to get off blocks. Our linebackers were getting caught in the trash or getting blocked and unable to disengage. And they were getting efficiency yards until our safeties made tackles. So, yeah, I, 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 I think the go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I, I, I don't think I do. I do not think that Dan Lanning and the defensive staff were out coached. I just think that they had more bullets in their gun and they executed better again, specifically losing Birch. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that uh, one injury was the difference between winning and lose this game. Cause it absolutely wasn't. But like when you lose the most dominant run defender in the conference early in this game and the best edge shedder and a guy that fundamentally changes the way that a team can run the ball, they, they started being able to do a lot of different things that I don't think they were even anticipating being able to have in the, in their, in their set going into the game. So uh, I'll let you guys. So, uh, that also speaks then to like a lack of depth at that position. <laughs> Right. If, if Birch goes down and our whole defensive front falls apart, like that's a problem. Well, it, it, um, it's a, you know, it's a big loss. I mean, you're, you're, he's the best player. on I, defense. I'm not disagreeing. That's a big loss, but like that, uh, look here, here, I don't, I don't think the passing game beat us. I think the passing game was, was good, but like the difference in this game is Washington scored four touchdowns. Every single one of them came from a goal to go situation inside the five yard line. Yeah. We and kept everything in front, but they were can still, I, can I talk, man? Can you quit interrupting me? I let you talk for like 10 minutes and you keep interrupting me when I talk. Go for it. They scored four touchdowns inside the five yard line, all on running plays or wildcat plays. That was an area where all season long, they were very average. They were very average on goal to go situations inside the 10. And and they went four for four against us. And we put up like no resistance in those four attempts. Like they scored those four touchdowns extremely easily inside the five yard line. Uh, and again, I think that's good. Ex- I'm not saying it's a coaching problem on our part. I'm saying it's great execution on their part. But we also, we didn't have any answers. We didn't have any answers. They did it four times easily and we had no answers. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can I go now or go ahead. It, yeah. my, my point, my point is this though, is that like 
it, it, it brought us to the same problem we were last year whenever Birch was forced to play on the edge. Like, or Dorless was forced to play on the edge. Dorless is, is an impact player for us on the interior, and Birch is an impact player for us on the edge. When you remove Birch from the edge, and Dorless then has to bump out, and you're replaced, the, the replacement, it's, it's, not, it's not a like, even, even with Mateo, who I think is going to be a really, really good player, like, you're talking about a guy who's going to be probably a second round pick in April. And then you're, t- you're taking a guy who, and then making him play in a, in a position. And I'm talking about Dorless now where he's far less effective. He's not, he's not a great edge player, but our young, this is the problem when you are reliant on so many freshmen on the edge. I mean, Mace Foon is there, but like Mace Funa can't move. And so you're, you're in a well, position now where you have, you have true freshmen having to play roles on the edge that they, they, they aren't comfortable playing. And so you, instead of doing that, you have to put Dorless out there and then now you have one less impactful player with length in the interior. So again, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that this is an injury issue. I'm just highlighting that like what Oregon, what made Oregon successful in those situations against Washington in the first game was, was severely hamstrung by the dirt, the birch injury, because now you're, you're forced to reshuffle. And I don't think any of our interior, like you want to play, in fact, I don't think any of our interior guys had a like, even remotely good game. Like I thought they all played very poorly. Um, and I think yeah. that the, uh, they, they didn't have Bulo in the first game. And I, I don't even think Bulo is a very good player, but like they did a great job as a staff at Washington of accentuating Bulo's one redeeming trait, which is his length. Well, I'll say this. Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, Arizona State, and a bunch of other schools with way less talent than Oregon were able to do much better against their running game than we did, and especially down in that goal-to-go area. So I I don't know what the answer is there, but it's very disappointing when you you see what Oregon State and Washington State were able to do the two weeks before we played them. uh, And then we're just – apparently one player goes out and all these other blue chips we have are worthless and they just stack us up and and score on us If you think that Washington was as dialed in in either of those games as they were in the Oregon game for a Pac-12 title in a playoff spot, I don't know what to tell you. Well, then why why weren't we dialed in? I just said we just we addressed this at the beginning of the show. Washington was playing <laughs> fast and free, and we were playing tight as fuck. I'm just disappointed, man. I like, get I'm it. Disappointed. You're, you're we got totally all these good. dudes. We got all these dudes, and one guy goes down, and we're now chopped liver. I, I we we have it. all these dudes. Like that's 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 a legitimate question. We do. I don't know. We've been talking about it all year. We've been talking about how all this great depth we, we, we have on great, defense. Yeah, we're Oregon, these guys. Oregon has a ton of great depth of guys that are solid, especially in the Pac-12, that are solid interior defenders. All those guys that were are old, that are seniors, that have been in the program forever, the Popo Amaves, the Taki Taimani's, the Casey Rogers, those guys are all like above replacement level players, but barely. The, the, the second that you start playing really, really good teams in big in big games, those guys are at best a stalemate, at best. And I was, and, and frankly, like it's something we didn't ever talk about. I was, I thought we were going to have to wait a week after we beat Washington to talk about it going into a playoff game. I one hundred percent worried about the ability of both of our lines to scale against better competition. Because why I love our tackles and I love their talent and they're great in pass pro. They aren't particularly strong on the edge, and we saw that again with Josh Connerly um, against Braylon Trice in this game. And I, I I don't think that our guard play is elite by any stretch of the imagination. It's very good, 
and against 98% of teams in college football, it's more than good enough to not only win but dominate. But the second that you step up in class and you start playing some real players, like good becomes not good enough. And the whole reason that this that 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 Oregon is recruited but five defensive linemen last year and is going to take another four in this class and very likely will be aggressive about taking another defensive lineman in the portal this year is because the group that they inherited while experienced and while very solid players for this level of play in the Pac-12, they lack length. And if you look at what everything that we've done on the recruiting trail, it's been about addressing that. It's about getting guys who are longer, more explosive athletes. And Washington knew what their advantage was and they used that leverage. That offense is really, really good. That quarterback is really, really good. Their, their passing game was absolutely a primary reason why we couldn't stop them because that, that passing game also allowed them to get numbers and leverage advantages in the box because there ain't no way in hell that we're not going to keep safeties over the top. And so, like, yeah, we can, we, can, we can blame the interior defensive line. I've got no problem doing that. I think that, I think that everybody's culpable on the loss, specifically defensively. But if, if you're just going to sit here and tell me that, like, we have a bunch of great dudes, like, really? Like, where, where, where are Popo and Ty Monty and all these guys going to get drafted this April? They're not. They're, 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 they're solid college players. They're good college players. But when you lose your only high-end in, guy in, in Birch, and then y- your drop-off is either true freshman or Mace Foon on the edge, like, that's just not – like, it's – they're, they're, the, that depth is okay against Oregon State and Washington State and ASU and Cal and even USC. But when you start playing good teams that are healthy, like Washington was getting healthy in this game, and I think Oregon's health was moving the other direction at the end of the season. Um, and, and that is not to make an excuse because they thoroughly whipped our ass. But there, there's, yes, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of factors that come into play in this, and I think that we're being totally obtuse and just wanting to blame like big broad stroke items. All right. Offensively, Who played good on the defense? Who off- played good on the defense? Um, I would say Justin Jacobs played a fantastic game. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I hope he comes back next I don't, year. I don't think him. Evan Williams played a bad game either. I don't think Nico Reed no, played I would a agree bad, with that as bad well. game. I thought, Nico Reed, I thought Nico Reed played a very good game. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think that uh, Mateo played a particularly bad game. He was he was placed into a position where he had to play a higher volume of snaps than he's used to in the run game, but like I think he's got the talent and ability to do it. Um, and I don't think he was the problem. Um, I, I think that where we played really really poorly was at safety and coverage. Um, and I thought Jeffrey Bossa played a really poor game tackling because he had several opportunities where the defensive line actually did their job setting setting uh, preventing guys from climbing to the second level. And they just, yeah. Just Oregon whiffed. missed seven tackles in this game, which is, you know, was quite bad for them. They've been, even as the Washington coaches acknowledge, Oregon's been one of the best tackling teams, you know, certainly in this conference all all season. And they really weren't in this game. They missed. They missed. No, I mean, a lot of tackles. we were we were god awful, and it's to be expected when you don't have Florence and you don't have Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's playing through a pretty significant injury. He played. Um, he played a little over half the snaps, but yeah. But he's not. He's, he's not, not healthy, player. and like yeah, he's not healthy specifically, yeah. like against their perimeter stuff. Like we, he's not with that shoulder injury. He's having a hard yeah, time getting off of blocks. And, and, yeah, yeah, he's not getting off blocks like he was early in the season when he was healthy because he was he was very 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 good. 
with prior to the shoulder injury um, against screens and things of that nature. And then like Nico Reed, like for all the things that I thought he did okay in coverage, like he, he can't get off blocks. He's tiny. Um, I thought, I thought Washington won this game in a lot of ways. Um, I thought that they won on the perimeter offensively. I think they won on the perimeter defensively. I thought we did a horrible job blocking on the outside at receiver tight end. Um, I, I don't actually lay this on the on the feet of the offensive line nearly as much as you do. Um, I, I think this is much more. No, I don't. I don't necessarily either. I, I, if I, I don't think they performed well, but I don't think they lost us the game. I think I think there's other culprits on the offensive side of the ball that I would blame more so than than the line. And I don't I don't want to turn this podcast and, into a giant blame game. Like <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, that's fair. But like, if 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 we're looking for fingers to point, like. I thought like it was it was it was very crazy how all of a sudden when Jordan James was in the game, Oregon was r- ripping off chunk yards in the run game. Yeah, like uh, like the, Bucky... the, the decision. I I understand why you start Bucky and you give him a chance, but like by early, I mean it was they only got six plays in the first quarter and only one was a run, so can't but put much uh, stock in that. But I think by the by the third drive, the field goal drive. After that, it was pretty clear Bucky was not the same Bucky Irving, and I really, I really don't understand the decision to, like, I mean, Jordan James on the on the you know, Jordan James scored a touchdown uh, in that third quarter on the opening drive, and an Oregon's offense looked like, okay, so let's say they're so they're down they're down twenty ten at the half. They come out, they start Jordan James in the second half, seventeen yard run on the first play. Um, and another, you know, he gets another couple runs later, eight yards to convert on first down to make it a second and two. Then he, then the Bucky comes back in and then Terrence Ferguson scores the the touchdown there. But uh, Jordan James scored a touchdown later and he was running like a machine. And then all of a sudden he doesn't play again. And we're force feeding the ball to Bucky Irving. And again, I love Bucky Irving. We've talked about how he's a top five running back for Oregon. Like we've, we, we love this guy, but he's not healthy and and the Oregon is force feeding him the ball on the most important. And he's drive not of the, the game. same guy. Like how many times in this game in the in both halves did you see him try to make a typical Bucky cutback and and just get like he doesn't have it yep. and he's getting tackled and you're like even if he would have just ran straight he would have got three more yards. The <laughs> like, amount of times it was, that it was that, sad. The amount of times that Bucky was unable to make cuts and make guys miss in open space that in September or October would have been just like automatic, automatic first downs. Um, and like we, we, I thought we made the adjustment because it seems that like, it seemed like at halftime we went to James and then in the most important drive of the game after Washington takes the lead back to go 27, 24, we immediately force feed the ball to a, a running back who's at best 50% healthy three plays in a row and go three and out. It was, yeah, it was, it yeah, was gross. That, that drive was, yeah, that was, drive was just a, a debacle. It, it was gross mismanagement of, of your personnel. Cause again, like watching the game and seeing how things were blocked up, like Bucky is a, a really great um, improvisational runner. Like sometimes he's going to do things that are not in the scheme. And you're going to live with that because he's going to make some incredible plays off of that. When he's hurt and he's doing that, he's literally just, he's throwing away downs. Um, yeah. And he did that, that drive he, you talk about. Yeah. He, he did that several times in this game, like where it was actually blocked up really well. And then he just cuts back, gets off his track. He gets off the, the design track of the play 
And, and, and that's why, like, Jordan James was performing so much better because Jordan James is a back who he's very instinctive. It's not like he's not a creative runner, but he's going to run on the design track. And then he's going to make and, a play and, off and of Jordan that James track. got six touches in the entire game. <laughs> like, what, that's what's what so, was his so, yards per like, carry? He ran the ball five times for 35, and he caught one pass for 30 yards. And yeah. I just, I'm dumbfounded. I mean, I, and it's crazy because like we heard coming into the season that there was people on the staff that thought that he was the best running back on the team preseason, Jordan James. And, and like at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's Lachlan's room. Like he's the one that's in control of that rotation, but there's two other adults on the headset that are, that can supersede him in the offensive coordinator and the head coach. And one of them needs to realize what's going on and get with the program. Because that, like again, you you're you're throw you threw away so many downs in this game, force feeding a hurt running back when there's healthy guys yeah, so, available to you. I mean, let's walk through that that critical drive you talk about, right? So, um, I, actually, let's just walk through drive by drive from Oregon. So, obviously, Washington gets the ball first, fifteen plays, we hold them to a field goal. I thought that was a a pretty successful defensive drive to start the game for Oregon. Uh, it was a very long drive for Washington, but ultimately. Oregon did a great job of getting off the field and only giving up three points on your opening scripted drive. And then Oregon comes out the first pass, what hits the referee, right? And then, and then two, uh, two passes to Troy, both incomplete three and out. And then Washington drives down, scores a touchdown. And we won't, we already talked about the defense and then the, you know, here now you're down 10 zip, right? And what, Every everybody in the world knew that Oregon was going to hand the ball off to Bucky on the first down because they hadn't they'd run three straight passes in the first on the first series and so of course the run goes nowhere gets stuffed and then uh, you know and then and then we uh, we get to we actually get eight yards on second down so it's third and one and we throw a pass incomplete and then we're we're three and out again. <laughs> Um, and then thank God wash, we forced a punt. So good job defense. And then we come back and again, we get, we get all the way down to the Washington 18, third and four, try to force another ball to Troy. It's broken up by Jabbar. Again, there was, that was a theme of the day as well. Jabbar Muhammad breaking up slants to Troy. Uh, so we kicked the field goal there. Washington scores a touchdown again to go up 17. And then again, third, three and out in four possessions. Like that, like how do you start the game with three three and outs out of four, your first four possessions? Like that is just, it's inexplicable. And again, here's how that drive went. Run, you know, a, a screen pass to Bucky for a one-yard loss, a Bucky run for two yards, and then, a you know, a short pass on third and nine that doesn't convert, and you're three and out again. Like we've seen three times now in this against Washington, going back to last year, what has continuously not worked in all three of those games? Horizontal play, right? Screen passes, swing passes. They have not worked against Washington in three games, and we came out doing that again and again and again. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. They're a team that's given up tons of big plays through the air, and whenever we hunted for them, we got them. Like late in that and what game. did we not do, Kibi? We didn't attack the middle of the field again against Washington. The area where everybody in the world feasts on Washington is the middle of the field. And we didn't even throw there. Well, what are we, we doing? When we did, we created big plays too. That's, that's the part right. that's, yeah, we, it was, everything was difficult. Like nothing was easy in this game. Like it, it was, yeah, unbelievably, unbelievably frustrating. Um, 
it was it was an it was an unexplainable performance. It was nothing that we were expecting. It wasn't sharp. Um, and again, like with all of that said, Oregon led at one point in this game somehow. They, our defense, our defense could have gave us the game in the third quarter. They pick off Penix. We throw an interception back on the next, you know, two plays later. Now, by the way, I didn't, I couldn't see it from the stadium, but when I went and back and watched it, like that's just a freak freaking play. Like the guys, he gets, you know, Bo. There's no way Bo could have seen that guy. Like he's standing on the sideline with. 8,000 other, you know, Washington players who are not in the game at the moment. And he comes back in bounds, reestablishes and makes an interception. Like I've never, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a play like that QB. That was just a weird, freaky, bad luck situation. And I just think it's more of the Washington voodoo hex that they have for this season. They're going to win the title because of it. They've sold their soul. No, they're not. I don't know. <laughs> but that play, right? That play was freaky. I, I was mad at Bo at the time from the stadium, but when I rewatched it, I'm just like, well, holy hell, like, the guy was standing three yards out of bounds. How could he expect him to be in the game? He probably thought he was on the sideline. Yeah, I mean, again, Washington is a dangerous team for all the reasons that we knew they were a dangerous team, and we made them significantly more dangerous with the way that we executed in this game. Um, we're we're on the same page about that. This was this was a a really frustrating performance, and it's one of those things where it's like you almost wonder, like you you play such good football for such a long sustained stretch of the season. Like you know, you're gonna have a bad day at some point, and like there's 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 something to be said, um, and this is not a satisfactory answer for 99.9 percent of Duck fans, but there's something to be said for the fact that you could have the right process, you could have the right preparation, you could have the right plan, but on any given day, you could show up and just not it just not click, it could just not work, and really that's what large stretches of this game felt like, and that's why I get really frustrated when people talk about like oh well the players didn't care they quit. Like nah, the only BS. reason Oregon was in this game is because the players played their ass off and like played hard and fought through the fact that they were, there was large stretches of this game where both offensively and defensively, we were completely dysfunctional and not on the same page and just, and, and just completely undermining our own success. Um, and oh so, yeah. Though a lot of previous Oregon teams, we didn't get down 20 to three like this. There are, there's a lot of teams over the last 10 years at Oregon that that game would have ended up like, 42 to 10 or something. Yeah. And they were in a position to win. And they, again, they, they blew it. Um, and it's frustrating. And with how much is on the line, like I don't, somehow Bo is still the Heisman betting favorite and maybe he wins it. I mean, that'd be fantastic. It'd be a nice little consolation prize, but like ultimately the playoff is what we wanted. Um, and now Oregon has to prepare to play a Liberty team um, in a, in a basically a no win situation in the, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, yeah. Fiesta Bowl. So again, uh, Doug, I I, I feel like this game this game was not like the last game in a lot of ways, but it was like the last game in some other ways because I felt again like the offense is the side of the ball that I think let us down in this game. They had twenty four points through their first nine possessions, and 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 with uh, like four three and outs in there. Uh, I mean, that just has they haven't played like that against anybody. Other than Washington, it was it was almost exactly like the first game where yeah, they just showed up. And I I disagree with you in a little bit because I don't think they had the right game plan on offense, and I don't think they no, had I, the right I didn't game say plan that we on did offense like... against against Washington the last two times. Both times we played them this year, I think our offensive game plan was bad. I don't. I don't th- I'm not don't smart enough was... to know what it should have been. I just don't think what I saw was the right game plan. I don't think it was bad in the first game. I, I think we just failed. I mean, I guess we could talk about it in like in sections. I think that obviously in the red zone it was poor, um, and we struggled. We struggled to uh, 
execute in the red zone in the first game, but we had zero problem running or throwing the ball between the 20s um, in the first game. That's fair. Um, and in this game, we had trouble getting first downs. Um, and we, we at no point did we like really get into the, um, get into the run game and commit to it in any meaningful way. And when we did, we were feeding carries to someone that was hurt. So I I think the offense was entirely mismanaged in this game. And I think if I'm going to like, again, if I'm blaming a unit, like I'm blaming the offense, not the defense in this game, because I think that they, they made enough plays for Oregon to come back and win this despite the the bad start. Um, and despite having a safety room that is completely non-ideal for this matchup, and despite um, having corners hurt, and and for some and, and finding themselves in a position where they're they're st- they're struggling to stop the run against a team that they completely stuffed in the first first game, so I, I understand everyone's frustration. Like this this game hurt me probably more than any game in, in, in that I can remember. Maybe twenty twelve Stanford is the only other one. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing will ever hurt me as much as that one. I don't think it's possible, but yeah, this one hurt, man. Uh, it, it hurt too. Thankfully I was watching it, you know, with a bunch of other duck fans in person at the game, which I always find is more helpful and cathartic than watching it alone at home on my TV. Cause I have other people to, you know, to share the misery with and talk to talk through it with. And I always find that helpful, but it, it was tough. It's, it's, it's a big missed opportunity for a lot of reasons for Oregon this year, you know, bitterly disappointing. And I just, you know, if it, if it played out like the first game where you just, it like the first game felt like this is two teams that are playing really well for the most part. And, and somebody wins like, okay, you live with it. When it plays out where you don't feel like you brought your a game, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, it it is, and despite playing a, a D minus game, they were still within three at the end of it. So, like, that's the part that's really frustrating. Your glass is half full. Your glass half full. Look, huh? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, no, the glass half full. Look, is this like? There's everyone is like, and, and I get it. Like, it's it's an emotional reaction to the game, and I am no different. Like, I was pissed. I was sad. I was unhappy after the game, um, but we went eleven and one, which is we we talked about this all off season long like every game over 10 gets exponentially harder um and you you had a really strong season where your only regular season loss was a three point road loss in a game that you really should have won um and of course yeah. the, the ending of this season is unbelievably disappointing and i think who you lost it to and what they gained from it is even more disappointing um than the actual loss itself um but this is a hell of a season, and like like anybody who's like, oh, this was Oregon's chance, this was Oregon's window, like you're not paying attention, you're, you're not like this. This is not even close to the best Oregon team that we're going to see in the next three four years. It's just not. Yeah, it, and I think as I think obviously we'll start pivoting into those conversations, you know, in this show and and beyond as we as we start. You know, obviously there's still a bowl game a, a month ahead of us, but there's gonna be a lot to talk about between now and then between the portal and signing day and everything else and. You know, for anyone out there who's like talking about like getting rid of Dan, like just stop. Like yeah, you just, sound come stupid. On. You like, look and sound that's, stupid. That is like the like it's absurd. Like this is the right coach. This is the right staff. This is the right the, the program is on 
an incredibly good director. It's all part of the process. Like, go go back to Georgia. How long did it take Kirby to build his program? Like, how long did it take? I, I mean, these things don't again. happen overnight, man. Everyone, everyone's looking like, oh well, but we've recruited better athletes even before uh, DeBoer and Landing got here, and 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 yeah, that that's true. Um, but football is a matchup based game, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. The, the fact that of the matter is is that, that that offensive battery of quarterback and receiver unit is a tough matchup for everybody in the country, no matter how well you've recruited. And it's, a, it's the ultimate trump card in this sport. Um, and you, unlike – you can, you can work around a lot of things, specifically on offense, but when you have that passing game, it makes up for a lot. Uh, and it, we weren't going to be able to rebuild the secondary to a place that it could compete with their level of receiver talent um, overnight or in a year or two years. Uh, and that was going to be a process. It was always going to be a process. The way that this team is being built from the front back is a process. The, 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 the types of bodies and athletes that we're recruiting in the defensive front are a completely different type of player than the player that we had under Mario, both from like a, what, what we're asking them to do schematically, what, what kind of player, what kind of length we're, we're targeting, you, you, we can say all on paper the classes look similar. There's nothing. There's nothing like these classes are nothing no. like. Um, and most of those guys are gone anyway, right? I mean, and, and and we're in that we're in this in between, right? Like, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the really really good players that Dan has recruited, particularly last year, they're freshmen, so they're not playing yet, or they're certainly not playing at the level they will be it next year or the year after, right? When they, when they build up their bodies and a lot of those guys are red, red shirted and, and will play over the next couple of years. And then, and, and what did we have to do? What did Dan have to do? He had to bring in a lot of portal guys over the season. And for the most part, those guys have been hits, but they're still not, there's a reason. Go look at how many guys, Georgia and Bama and Ohio state bring in through the portal. It ain't 12, it ain't 14, it's five, right? They're filling small holes. Like Dan last year and team, they had to fill, 10 holes you're trying to solve problems like you're trying right right right. and i think they had to fill you know and i think they filled eight of the 10 holes really well the you know two or three they couldn't fill like go tell me what safeties are available in the portal like what what safeties that are starting on a national championship level team have ever been available in the portal in the last couple cycles like it's just the reality is you got it you got better at those positions but you're not getting players to the point that that you could get if you're recruiting them and developing them and having them ready to go, right? And and Oregon has missed on safety in four straight cycles, potentially five if you count last class, which we don't know yet. But that's a that's a problem, as you said, and you can't just go magically fix that over one off cycle at certain positions. You need a receiver, great. There's a million receivers in the portal that can catch passes and and provide upside. You need a safety. You need you need an elite edge. Good luck. Yeah, we got really fortunate. And when, like, like how much can one play losing one player hurt? Well, like I, I think Bud Elliott said this really well on the Cover Three podcast is that like Oregon is a very high floor team. We've got good players. We got players that you'd consider good at every position. We don't have a ton of guys that you would consider elite. Like I love the upside of our tackles on offense, but they're not elite players yet. I, I I think JPJ is an elite center. I think Bo Nix was an elite college quarterback. I think Troy Franklin and Bucky Irving were elite college players. Um, but when you go to the defensive side, like you have good players at a lot of positions. Who's elite? Birch and Dorless. Who else? Like may possibly Kyrie when he's healthy, like maybe Jalil Florence when he's healthy. 
certainly not Jeffrey Bossa, certainly not Jamal Hill. Like those, those are guys that won't even be like contributors on, on the future Oregon teams that are being built right now. And so, and I don't mean that to disparage those players because I, of all people appreciate the contributions that they're making. And I thought that they made great strides and impacts and made us a much better team this year than we were last year. This, in my opinion, is still one of the best Oregon teams that we've ever had, if not the best Oregon team we've ever had. And it sounds crazy to say that we're going to be a lot better than that going forward. But if you believe in the profile and what they're doing on the recruiting trail, like I do, I firmly believe in it because I see it. I see it with my own eyes. I'm down. I'm on the sidelines for the USC game, and I'm looking at our guys in warmups. I'm seeing the the difference between our starters and our backups. Or that freshman class of defensive linemen, that's a different type of athlete. They're different body types. Yeah. I believe in that. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to see what this team does, the growth that takes place, these young guys stepping up, the new incoming recruiting class, uh, what Oregon goes to and does at quarterback in the transfer portal, and how Dan fully turns this into his roster. And I know that that's a, a quip that Washington fans are going to make fun of, and I don't really care because it's not like they're going to make fun of anything we say. Uh, but the, the truth of well, the matter right is – Right now they can talk, so – We'll just have to take it for a while. Yeah, I don't care. Like at the end of the day, yeah. I I still love where this program's going. Um, I see the, I, I see the strides that were made this year. Um, and to me, losing one game like this is not derailing that momentum in the slightest. And people that think that it's going to affect recruiting are drunk. We just went eleven and we did went eleven and two, and we have a freaking New Year's Six bowl in front of us. Yeah, it's it's well, people. People that think that often over they over, they vastly overstate how much wins and losses matters in recruiting in the first place, and certainly not the difference between you know eleven and two and twelve and one, right? It's it's like we're you're this is a team that's primed to make the playoffs next year in a twelve team playoff model, right? So it's not like people are gonna be like, oh shit, I got to bail. Like, look, Oregon has twenty four high school commits, twenty of them are blue chips. That's an eighty percent blue chip ratio in the twenty twenty four class right now. That's the second highest in the country. Yep, and it's only more than they... Alabama. I'm not saying it's a better class in Alabama, but they're blue. They, Alabama actually has six three stars. Now, those are probably really good three stars. I'm just saying, like from a paper perspective, again, don't take that the wrong way. I'm not saying Oregon's class is better than Bama's. I don't know if it is or isn't. We'll find out in a few years. But the point being, 20 blue chips out of 24 commits, and that's like we that's far far more than we've ever done. And and, and like, look, we're not done yet. Like you know, Jordan Seaton's going to commit on Thursday. Oregon's right there in the running for them, uh, for him. I know there's a couple other guys out there that we're still talking to as well in this class. And then you got the portal opening, you know, and and it's another opportunity. You know, Oregon, I think, trimmed a lot of. I don't want to be disrespectful, right? But a lot of those guys that you said aren't aren't they're not going to be above the line, as Dan says. Guys that weren't above the line this year, for that matter, right? Like most of those were cleared out last year, and and all these people that were wailing and moaning about, oh my God, thirty five players transferred out. Well, guess what? Go read James Crabbie. Go read the guys from Deck Territory. Go read all the guys who every freaking week reported out week after week after week. Here's what all these former Oregon players that transferred out did this year. Guess what they did? Bupkis. Zero, zilch, zip, nada. None of those guys did jack squat the entire season. So, like, trust the staff. Trust they know what they're going on. And, and yeah, they cleared most of those guys out last year. But we've had five transfers out today, QB, so far as the portal open. Um, uh, Austin Cozart incoming. You know, it was freshman wide receiver from last year. He's hit the portal. Chris Hudson, obviously redshirted this year. 
He's in the portal. Brian Addison left the team mid-year. He's in the portal. Damon David back in the portal again. He's really never contributed for Oregon now in three seasons here. And then also um, Josh Delgado, another receiver. He's in the portal. So that's five guys who have, who aren't contributors, have already transferred out. And we know there's probably going to be five, at least five more off this roster. And, and, and you look down the roster, and it's pretty easy to find the five or six that you're looking you're looking to see hit the portal and I'm not going to name them out of respect over, over the, you know, the next couple of weeks or whatever. And there's more than that. And that's a, yeah, maybe probably is, but uh, I'm just saying you know, and a, that's to make room for this incoming freshman class. And it's also to make room for the five to six difference makers. You got to bring in out of the portal, obviously starting at the quarterback position. I mean, at the end of the day, this staff, Dan Marshall, Malco, I've never had more faith in a, from a talent acquisition and evaluation standpoint. Um, and they're, they are going to be ruthless and they are going to be unwavering in their goal of elevating the, uh, the talent on this roster. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to do it through the transfer portal. They're going to close incredibly strong on the recruiting trail. And then they're going to, and then the staff is going to develop its ass off with the players that they have on campus. Um, and so this is not the this is not the pinnacle of this is not the build up season for Oregon. It was a very good season. There was a lot of veteran players who did a lot for the program on this team. And I don't want to undermine any of their efforts or any of their accomplishments because this is still a very successful season. Um, but this is not the pinnacle. This is Washington's pinnacle. This is this is as good as it's going to get. Um, and it's a special group of a lot of players, pre- uh, premium positions that were inherited, and we'll see what they can do when they have to go out and acquire their own talent. But I know what Dan and this comp- and the staff are going to do because I've already seen it. Right? It's an 11 yeah. and one team with primarily players they recruited, and frankly, it was primarily transfer players and 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 freshmen that they recruited in one full recruiting cycle. So what does this roster look like with two or three full, like real classes on board? Um, and what does it look like with 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 a couple portal cycles and a couple years of development in the system and strength and conditioning? I, I'm I am I am as I believe in this with the same conviction that I did last week today. Um, and if you don't, that's your choice. I think you're wrong, and I I will gladly uh, place my faith in Dan Lanning and this staff. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, QB. I, you know, obviously there's there's Oregon's linked to some quarterbacks in the portal. I don't know if you want to talk about those. I mean, Cam Ward was one that's been rumored for a while. I think more recently today there's been some smoke around Dylan Gabriel out there. Um, you know, Oregon's going to have options like we know, like we knew they were going to at the quarterback position. Um, you know, Dante Moore is in the portal as well. So do they take a look at him, you know, bringing him back or whatever? But I also think that, they don't need to go out and really they can't go out and get 12, 13 transfers this year. I mean, you're really talking quarterback, maybe a wide receiver. If there's a, if they can get a top end one, they don't need to take like a mid-level wide receiver. You know, they might need a top end one if they can find one. And then on defense, you need safeties. You need at least one, maybe two and maybe a linebacker if, or a defensive lineman if there's if there's a top-end one available. But it, you don't have to force it, I don't think, this year, right? Where last year you had to force some of those, and some of those guys that you forced were replacement-level players. This year I think you're shooting for more, you know, big game. I agree with that, although I will say that if enough good players hit the portal, Oregon will make room to take more. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see that. I think you're right. But I, 
I think you're right. I just think at what point, what's that, what's that bar, right? Like what's the bar of like, are, are they good enough to be worth pushing somebody else out? Cause right now, yeah, there's a few guys to push out, but those are just to make those you need to push out just to make room for the high school class. I mean, anybody else you take it out of the portal above and beyond that means you're pushing out a guy you just recruited last year or well, I, a guy you got out of the portal last year or whatever. Right. So it's, the bar gets higher and higher, right? The Every more year. guys you want to take out of the portal. The one thing I'll say though is that that first class, the class that Dan signed to meet, like a, basically two weeks after being 22. hired. Yeah, I'm talking about the 23 class. Yeah, no, for sure. But what I'm saying is like that class. Um, I think there's a lot of guys who, uh, again, because like that, that's not a real Dan class. Like there's some players out of that class that are good players, but for the most part, as we've seen around the country, those end up being a very high attrition rate classes that class is the class to me that's on the chopping block, right? Like if you're not contributing now and there's not really any signs of you being a high level contributor and there's a high level transfer portal player at your position, the odds are you're losing your spot to that transfer transfer portal player. Um, so there's some guys that I think might surprise Oregon fans that could end up losing a spot to a transfer portal player um, that a lot of people I think would have penciled in as returning. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how this how the staff manages things, but um, I, I love the direction that 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 they're and I have faith that they know what they're doing managing the roster, um, and I love the direction that they're going with the talent um, acquisition. Yeah, I I completely agree. I I do want to continue to hopefully see those portal classes shrink a little bit because I do think there's at some point if you're recruiting all these guys and you know developing them, I mean you can't just keep bringing in portal guys over the top of them too, or that becomes a problem as well. And you see, you see the best teams that have stability. Don't, don't really do that. Right. So I don't, I'm not saying we're at that point yet, but you know, another, another cycle or two down the road, we might be at that point. And again, it doesn't mean you're not ever taking transfer players. It just means you're, you're taking transfer players to fill your misses, not to push out your hits. (laughs) No, hundred percent. And I think yeah. I think this is the last class where you see like a fairly high volume. It's not going to be what it was last year, um, but I think next year after three full classes is where you see those, the transfer stuff trim way back. Because right now, what you're trying to do ultimately is is spot is is spot fill where you don't want to be one hundred percent reliant on in, incoming freshmen. No matter how good you think those players are going to be. For example, like that that Maryland linebacker that hit the portal that Oregon's being connected too strongly. Like, one, he's an upgrade over everyone on our roster, but but Bassa or but uh, Jacobs, and two, bringing another guy like that in not only enhances the 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 floor of your defense um, or the ceiling of your defense, but also enhances the floor because you're not going to have to be as reliant on the freshman. If the freshmen earn spots and give you good snaps, that's great. Kind of like what we did this year, bringing in Birch with all those freshman edge players. Um, it, it creates a, a, a time and space element to um, development for those young players so that they aren't just thrust into roles they're not ready for. And your your team has to take a step back because of it. Yeah, I think outside of safety, the, I, that's a great point about linebacker. And I completely agree. Outside of safety, the, the position that interests me the most and how they manage it over the next couple cycles is offensive line. Um because again, it feels like there's some holes to fill there. Obviously, I think they're pretty well set for next year. You know, you've got your two tackles coming back. Harper's going to be back, I assume. Um, even if JPJ goes, you've got Poncho back, and then you've got several guys who can slide into the second guard spot. 
Um, but then you start looking beyond the next season and I'm not sure, you know, if you get Seaton, obviously that's, that helps at tackle. Right. But like what else you have, you know, in the room, you got a lot of projects, uh, that are coming in and they're going to be two year projects. So what is your, what is your offensive line situation look like for not the 2024 season, but the 2025 season. And I think this this cycle is important there because, you know, you don't really want to or very often play true freshmen as full-time starters. So you really – whoever you're going to get for 2025 kind of needs to be in your program this this coming year, at least on the bench, developing. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think and there's that, a lot of in that room but that we don't know much about. Yeah, there's some guys that I think we do know about. Like Strether was just a situation where it took him forever to get healthy. And it just wasn't never going to happen for him this year. But I think he'll be a reliable player. I think Dave Uli is a reliable player on the in, on the inside. I'm projecting a little bit, right? Like, because you expect guys to get better and improve. But between those two, I think that you're you're probably fine at guard. Um, and then Seaton's the player that if you if Oregon's able to close on Thursday and and secure that commitment, that's a guy that absolutely will play. Um, and can play at multiple spots right away. Um, but certainly after that first year, um, we'll be stepping into a starting role. Um, I think that there's some other players like that in that incoming class too. So uh, I it, think the Ducks really like Janoris Wilson. He was in the 23 class. He's a true freshman yeah. this year. I know, I, you know, again, he hasn't seen the field in his development, but I think they're pretty high on his, his potential. But he'd be a, a 2025 guy, right, like in the program – two years and, and then, you know, he's either ready to play or he's not. Well, offensive line is a class that you're is a position where you're always taking big classes because basically you're going to take five guys a year and every two years, uh, three guys from the class two years ago are going to leave because you're going to know at that point that those guys aren't the ones you're going to have grabbed the two good players out of that class. And then you're going to recycle those spots to start that process over again. And if you hit on a higher percentage of them, great. You'll, uh, but Ultimately, that's kind of how offensive line management has always been. So yeah. uh, I, I anticipate Oregon will try to close with Seton for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they went after Eddie Pierre-Louis down the stretch here um, at guard. And then I'm sure they'll take another large class on the offensive line next year because it will always be a priority in that one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It'd be, I think tackle next year is, is a, I mean, every year, but particularly next year, I think feels like a really important position to hit on in, yeah. in 25. I think they did a great job in this class at tackle. I mean, so you, even without Seton, but especially with him, because I think Crater, McCroy, and Seton is a hell of an offensive line haul. So. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, I, you know, I think well, then you got Ferguson too, right? Trent Ferguson. Yeah, Trent Ferguson. Yeah. I, I, he could be. I mean, a Ferguson he and McCoy, I think, are both a little bit of projects. But yeah, but Ferguson, man, I, I don't know. This isn't a recruiting podcast. We'll save that for signing day. I have a, I have a lot of thoughts because his his senior film has given me a lot of hope. Um, just athletically, how cool. he moves. So I'm actually really excited about him, and I I don't think it's going to be something where it's next year for him. Uh, I don't even know if it's going to be after a redshirt year. But I think that after two years, I think that guy has. He's got a lot of the requisite traits um, and abilities, I think, to develop into a good player. Anything else you want to talk about on this show, QB? No, I mean, I, I guess a closing statement. Oh, we, I got a couple things. Go ahead. Okay, closing, I got a couple things we we could touch on. Closing statement for me on the game is uh, I'm I'm every bit as disappointed as everybody else. Um, you can call me a homer. You can call me 
an optimist. Um, I prefer optimist. I, I, I try to look at the world through a half glass half full lens because I think it makes your life better. Um, but I think a lot of people are ignoring the successes of the season to drown themselves in the miseries of that one game. Um, and I'm not saying that that one game wasn't the biggest, most important game because it absolutely was. It was one of the biggest, most important games in, shoot, probably the last decade. Um, but there's so much positive momentum in this program still, and that game doesn't destroy that. And I think a lot of people have jumped from, oh, man, like this game, the way this game makes me feel and, and the outcome of this season based on this game um, is also going to destroy the program. And that's just that could not yeah, be further. That couldn't be further from the truth. So I'll ask you a question. Uh, one more question about the season then. Obviously, the Fiesta Bowl, whatever. I mean, obviously, you want to win, but it, those things are exhibition games now. Was this season a success? Absolutely. And that's going to, oh, there's going to be people that disagree with that. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, shit, like whatever you think it is, is what it is, right? <laughs> like, I can't tell you what to think, but um, when you, when we talked about this season, if I told you going in that we'd be 11 and one and that we would have gone two and three against Utah, USC and Washington with two of those games being on the road, I think you would have taken that. And I think actually, if you go back to our preview episode, that's what we were expecting. Yep. We both predicted 11 and one and winning two of those three games. And we, and we um, did. And I think, I think this team showed long stretches of dominance and I had a lot of fun watching this team play. Uh, I'm not satisfied with the outcome, but I think that, um, getting a getting a solid win I, again. Nobody's gonna, no one's even gonna remember who we played in this game by the time next football season starts. But getting a win in the Fiesta Bowl, getting that New Year's Six win does matter. I don't care. Um, it does. It does. And, and Bo's playing, and I think a lot of other guys will play too, and some won't, and that's fine. And I'm going I, I, for me. For me, QB, like I. It's tough. At the beginning of the year, I would have. I, I I predicted 11 wins. I said. I said 10 or more, as long as we're in the conference title game, will be deemed in a successful season. So if I go with what I said at the beginning of the year, obviously we won 11, not 10, and we made it to the conference title game. So by my own preseason criteria, I would have to define the season as a success. Now, obviously, as the season goes on and you see what the team is and you see what their capabilities are, you know, you adjust your expectations. So if you're going to ask me what, if I considered it a success as of where my expectations were two weeks ago, I probably would say no, because at that point my, my criteria had changed to having to win that game to be, to be considered successful. So it all depends on whether I consider, you know, consider that based on my preseason expectations or my postseason expectations. Five years from now, if I look back on this season, I'm, I'm going to think two things. I'm going to think, yeah, 12, you know, 11 or 12 wins, hopefully after the Fiesta Bowl is a successful season. And how, how could anyone think otherwise? I mean, that's hard. That's hard to do. And you only lost to one team on your schedule the entire year. And and secondly, the way I'll remember this season is it was a lot of freaking fun, man. Like this, this was the most fun I've had watching Oregon football since probably 2012, maybe 20, 2015 was kind of a fun year. Cause you didn't feel like it was a, a high pressure year after that Michigan state loss early, but it was a lot of fun watching Vernon Adams and those guys. So at least since then, maybe since 2012, 2014 was obviously an exceptional year. But I also remember that year being full of stress, and I didn't feel that same level of stress this year. So it, this year is just to me, it'll be remembered as a lot of fun, 
watching this team, it, it was like football was fun again. I mean, that kind of kept us a little bit last year. You know, with Dan's first year, there was some 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 bit of football was fun again. But this year, it really ratcheted up to a whole new metal, a whole new level. And I, I think there's there's some success to be had in that, like enjoying the team that enjoying watching the team that you love and celebrating along with them. You know, week after week. And I think that, like, again, does it impact the season? No. Like when you're talking about success and failure, I think the way that you're recruiting and the and the long term um viability of your program matters and so to be coming out of this season getting ready to roll into season one of big 10 play with a whale of a recruiting class coming in that's not done yet um and the resources and in the brand to go out and secure high level um transfer players and really build a a contending roster for a 12 team playoff run next year um I think this was absolutely a successful building block. Like to go from nine and three regular season in year one to eleven and one in year two, playing in a, in a in a conference title game. Like now year three, like time time to take another step forward, right? And so um, I think that when you look at these things on a macro scale and not the micro, um, I think it, it it absolutely was a successful season um, that could have been far more successful. Well, and I hate to do this, but. I mean, you got to also step back a little bit and give Washington credit. I mean, that team went thirteen and zero, and that's really freaking hard to do. And you know, if you look if you look at this Oregon team and you put them in in this conference in 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018, like they win that they win that that conference all of those years. Yeah. Um, you know, and they just ran into a team that was a uniquely bad matchup for them this year, and who also is a, a really, really good team playing at a really high level uh, with Hot. with you know ten or twelve guys they brought back from last year to to make this run. So, yeah, I'm going to go say ahead. something, and I, if there's a Husky fan at this point still listening to our podcast that wants to clip this and put it on Twitter, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't actually think this Washington team is like a stupid, crazy elite team. They are a stupid, crazy elite matchup for this Oregon team. And I think we're going to see that when they play Texas in the playoff. I mean, I think to some degree we saw it throughout parts of the season. Where yeah, this, this is a, this is a, like a good, we, this is a very good team. It's just weird. It's just weird. It's such a weird dynamic of how this Washington team it's like they have a cheat code against Oregon and an extra bottle or two of nitrous that they kick in or something before the game. Um, but yet they play so ordinary against a lot of other average football teams. And I, I mean, give them credit for getting up for the game that mattered or the games that mattered. Yeah, no, for sure. But that will catch up with them. I promise you teams like this don't get rewarded with championships. I'm not worried about them winning a natty. <laughs> I'm really not. I still think they might have sold their soul to the devil because uh, they've had a tremendous amount of luck. I don't. It's crazy. I, I saw a, a, there was a metric that measured luck, and they were the number one lucky team in the country. And uh, it's hard. I've watched all their games, and it's hard to argue. Like they've had, and again, you make your own luck to a degree. And I'm not trying to discount them a lot, but they have had an incredible amount of good fortune throughout the course of the season yeah. as well. They've also made their luck in some sense, right? Like they, there's definitely, yeah. they've been, they've been well-prepared. They have a good coaching staff. They have a good, really good quarterback and passing game. Um, that's overcome a lot of their shortcomings as a team. And unfortunately uh, we didn't have that this year in terms of like the ability to overcome our shortcomings. And I think we had a, 
very unfortunate matchup and arrival this year. Um, and I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this rivalry progresses. And when we look back at this three more years from now, uh, what we think about this, this matchup. Yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, I don't think they were lucky in on Friday's game. I'm talking about their season as a whole at oh, various yeah. points throughout the year. They're I very, thought they had one lucky that, that interception against Bo was the like freakiest luck, weird play that I've seen in a long time. But outside of that, they, they were the better team and they beat us. Yep. I agree. All right, QB. Um, playoffs. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, controversy. So the committee put in uh, the four best Michigan thirteen and zero at number one, Washington number two at thirteen and zero, and then they went with Texas and Alabama both twelve and one as the three and four seeds, and left out thirteen and zero Florida State. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sorry, What's Florida. Your they played. They put. They did what they're supposed to do. They put the four best teams in. I don't like it, but it, it's the system we have. It's a four-team system where someone is going to have to get screwed over, um, and they put the four best teams in. I think all four of these teams would beat Florida State. And I know I mean, that's, if a, that's argue, a projection, but it is what it is. Yeah, but you you I'll, can't I'll leave out Texas or Alabama. I'll push out a little bit back on that. If you were really truly putting in the four best teams, wouldn't you include Georgia? Yeah, but like you have to do the four best conference champions. Okay, okay. You can't like you. you can't let Georgia get a pass for not winning the title game. Oh, I don't disagree with you. I'm just I'm just interrogating the the conversation here a little bit because it it obviously it's been talked to death over the last two days. I actually predicted this outcome um, on on Saturday. I think after the games were all over, I actually had had I had Texas at four and Alabama at three. I thought they would have flip flopped those, but. Um, I had the I predicted this four teams and there was I think the interesting question that a lot of people have asked and I don't know that we want to get into this is is if what if Oregon would have beaten Washington would they have made it or would they have been left out I think they would have been left out no they would have made it you think they would have made it yeah it's hard to say we'll never know no the, the, um, the committee very clearly just didn't view Florida State with a third string quarterback as a quality enough team to be competitive in the playoff and um, for the integrity of the sport, I think they did the right thing because I think that it, it would have been Texas that got left out despite them being the three seed and Bama being the four seed. And I think Texas is probably my favorite to win a title now. You know what's crazy, QB? If Georgia beats Bama, Texas is not in this playoff. They would have just put Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State in. I See, I don't know if I agree with that. I guarantee you they would have. Maybe they would have just been. Oh, they're all thirteen and zero, easy. But once that, once once Bama won, then that made it. They had to put Bama in, and then as soon as they have to put Bama in, that means they have to put Texas in. I haven't subscribed to that. And but I could see the I could see the logic behind it. So I think if Georgia wins and you have four thirteen and zero champs, they just say boom boom, we're done, we're out of here. Let's go get some drinks. It, it would have been the easiest, cleanest, not most least controversial thing they could have done. I think. I think Texas, the only way Texas was getting in this playoff is if Bama beat Georgia and they got what they needed. Yeah, maybe that's true. I mean, we'll never know. Yeah, and and the other thing I think that the other thing that I think gave them the freedom to do this is that it's not setting any kind of precedent because the system is over. If the four team system was continuing on, maybe we get a different outcome. Maybe not. We'll never know. But I think the fact that the twelve team the twelve team playoff starts next year, and that this committee didn't 
didn't have any burden of like, oh my God, what, you know, now this is going to set some sort of precedent for future committees. I think not having that burden allowed them to just treat this as truly as a one-off, let's pick the best four. Um, yeah, I feel bad for the Florida State fans. Like if we were sitting here QB at 13-0 and 0 and we got left out, like I can't even imagine how livid I would be as a fan. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it is the it is the best matchup, right? We are getting the if best we were two ma- the best 0, matchups out of it. If we were thirteen and zero with Ty Thompson or Austin Novosad, I would have a hard time arguing against people that think we didn't deserve to be in. I don't know, thirteen and zero is thirteen and zero, but uh, we'll never know again. And obviously, next year, I think the other thing it, it's funny because a lot of people are saying this is the worst possible thing that could have happened for this committee. But I also think in a lot of ways it's the best because there was so much resistance to the the playoff expansion and so many people were against it. And no, stay at four, stay at four, stay at four. Their arguments are all dead now. <laughs> like this 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 playoff has just said, nope, now 12 it is. And, and everyone's on board because you can't – no one could ever support having this travesty happen again. So it actually – if it you're actually the 13th made, team, I don't feel bad for you if you don't make it. <laughs> yeah, no one's gonna give no one's gonna give a shit of, and it actually be the 12th because you got the group of five champion. will make it in, so the top 11 will make it, and nobody's look. You could say the 12 team maybe deserved it over the 11 team, but the reality is neither one of them are going to come close to sniffing a title. So you're not talking about leaving out somebody who could have won a championship. You're talking about leaving out somebody who could have gone and played Georgia and got their ass kicked in round one, right? Or or Alabama or Ohio State or whoever. So it's a totally different argument, and it's not one that people are going to spend three days, like, you know, revisiting over and over and over again. Maybe on the reveal, they'll be like, oh, I really thought, I really thought Ole Miss should have got it over Oklahoma. Oh, well, doesn't matter. Okay, move on. <laughs> Let's see those matchups. So Oregon gets Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, which I think a lot of people were pretty disappointed by originally. Uh, including myself, I thought I thought they kind of just gave us the middle finger with the least desirable matchup out of the possibilities. I, you know, Missouri seemed to be an early favorite to get that spot, and then Penn State was another one that was heard quite a bit. And instead, they they kind of made all of they made the Orange Bowl matchup. The Orange Bowl matchup was contractually obligated, so that had to be Georgia and Florida State. But then they, you know, they put Penn State, Ole Miss in the peach bowl and uh, what are the other two Missouri and uh, well, whoever the hell the other team is in the cotton bowl, Ohio state. So they formed like two really good matchups there and then just kind of said, well, we don't care about the pac 12. So we'll, we'll stick the group of five champ out there again, just like last year. Uh, who cares? Just take care of business, get your win and get ready for big 10 play. I'm ready. I'm ready. My body is ready. I'm ready to get drug into nasty rock fights in the Midwest in November. <laughs> I I said something uh, after after the Civil War game. I said something. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or on Twitter, but about like I hope they're ripping out the the Pac-12 logo out of the Austin turf right now and and putting in the Big Ten logo. And I got a lot of hate from some people on Twitter about that, but oh. I don't care. I'm I I'm not. I, I appreciate the good times we had in this Pac-12 QB, but I'm all about looking forward. I'm ready for the Big Ten. I'm ready for better TV windows, better coverage, better network, better matchups, better fan bases, all of it. Bring it. Yep, I'm ready as well. 
All right, I think we've talked enough tonight. I think uh, next up, we'll probably we got a Hithilday review. We don't have it scheduled yet, but we're going to get Hithilday on soon. We'll do a second half review with him. I think what could be we ought to spend an episode kind of revisiting all of our predictions from the beginning of the year. So I'll dig those up, and uh, we'll go through those. We'll probably need to also tally up our final um, our final picks from last weekend. I haven't even looked at them yet, so I don't even know what they are. So I think we got a few a few uh, few episodes of content to fill. Obviously, the portal is in full swing, so there'll be news there. I'm sure every time we record, we got signing day coming up in about about two weeks from tomorrow. So there's a lot going on this month. We'll be back to cover it all. Then we'll probably take a little bit of a holiday break, give ourselves some downtime. We've been going going at it twice, three times a week for I don't know six, seven, eight months now. So you know we might take a little break if you guys don't mind and. You know, a lot to talk about still. Football's year round. Yeah, I think I think we hold off on the break until I mean maybe after the signing day, but with portal yeah, stuff yeah, after signing day. Yeah, like the 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 real dead period is p- kind of after the second signing day before the before spring ball. And yeah, then, for sure. Then after that, it's spring ball, fall recruiting or spring slash fall recruit summer recruiting, and then we're back in fall camp again talking about games. So. Um, I, I love that this is an all year round hobby slash sport. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to spend a lot of time in the off season studying up on Big Ten teams and rosters and all of that. It's gonna it's gonna make uh, for some homework. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to that too. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, it kind of it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where you're you're kind of comfortable and familiar and like. Okay, I know Washington State. Now I just need to kind of learn who came in and who left, and I, but I kind of know what they're about. Right now, it's going to be like I don't know Jack about Rutgers. I don't know what's going on at Illinois. No, but I'm excited. <laughs> maybe to I learn. don't. Maybe... <laughs> I'm excited to learn. Like it's going to be a fun conference. There's a lot of there's a lot of good coaches. There's a lot of good quarterbacks transferring in. Um, it's going to be a fun league. To, it's going to be a fun league to cover and watch. And I think Oregon is uniquely positioned to step right into the very top of that league right alongside Ohio State. So in Michigan. Yeah, definitely. All right. That will do it for this one. That is Mr. QB11. You can follow him at QB11SD on Twitter. You'll find me there at Douglas TS and follow the show. We're creeping ever closer to that 1000 follower mark at QB11 show. And we will be back with you. I don't know. We don't have a day set. It'll be a few days from now. Usual time, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that. We'll be back with another episode covering the portal and, and any other news that we might uh, we might have. Thank you, everyone. Good night.